Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is John Perot. He is counsel at the New York office of Zuber Lawler. We're going to talk to him a little bit about what's going on in the cannabis space on the legal front. Uh, John's been on the program before, uh, and we're doing kind of an update episode Really kind of looking at where are some of the, um, you know, how are some of these things playing out? I think everyone in cannabis knows that we've had a lot of kind of interesting kind of legislation passes, various kind of bills that, you know, kind of get close to places at the federal level. We've got states that have been passing things, uh, but it's left us in kind of an interesting space in the cannabis world in terms of really what's going to be held up in court, what's not going to hold up in court, how is this going to play out? We've got potentially sort of competing situations and and the courts are going to have to decide how they handle some of this stuff. And, and obviously, it all, all that is going to change and evolve over time as well. But we thought it would be a good chance to kind of dig into and, and really kind of see where are we on some of these fronts. So, so we're going to chat about that. We're going to kind of chat about cannabis, what John is working on, and, and kind of the things that he's seeing in the space. I'm excited for this. John's a good friend, and, and we've, we, we have a chance to 
chat now and again, but I'm, I'm excited to get him on the episode and actually put this stuff on the air. So with that, John, welcome to the program. Bruce, thank you for having me back. I greatly yes. appreciate it. I apparently somehow did not burn bridges last time, you know, so all my offensive <laughs> you jokes, passed. you know, you, you it took a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, it's a pleasure. So before we kind of get into uh, kind of uh, our topics and what's going on today in the in the world of kind of cannabis and, and the legal side of cannabis, catch us up because I know that uh, you've had some changes. You've moved around a little bit. Catch us up on, on what you've been doing and where you are now. Great. appreciate it. So, you know, for a number of years, I was at an intellectual property law firm, you know, and I had been networking in the industry, was lucky enough to build up client base for IP purposes. I was a partner there. I was happy. I miss those guys. Right. But I care so much about this industry on so many different levels, you know, the two being, you know, like the the medical side And I'm not talking just, you know, about using cannabis for nausea during chemo, I'm talking about the biopharmaceutical level deployment of cannabinoids towards specific conditions, you know, yep. and social equity is another one that's, you know, very near to dear in my heart. You know, there is an idea here to try and tip things back towards fairness. And, you know, I knew the legalization was coming down the pipeline. You know, I'm here in New York. I actually reside in New Jersey. And so I hopped over to um, Zuber Lawler, this law firm, to kind of be here on the forefront because they are OGs in cannabis dating back 15 years in the California market. And, you know, they've grown and expanded, you know, to 45 attorneys with cannabis, you know, focused attorneys in, you know, Colorado and Colorado, the queen of Texas, hemp, Arizona, and here. And, you know, they're just, and we also have this affiliated consulting company, Global Go, you know, run by Paul Rosen, helped uh, get Kronos Group up and running, and they handle state license applications with kind of a, a hard to believe track record of success. So basically the law firm and the consulting company are the dream team that I joined. And Bruce, I, I need to be honest here. I think I probably only made it in <laughs> on an athletic scholarship. Either that or all the blackmail material I accumulated on Tom Zuber. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, one one exactly. or the other, you know, you got to hedge go multiple uh, paths. Hey, whatever, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Yeah. And Tom was on the program. It was, it's probably been a good year and a half, maybe even two years. So in the show notes, I'll put the link to his episode as well. So yeah, Tom's great. Zuber Lawler is, you know, one of the, one of the top cannabis law firms and, and comes up again and again, even with my clients. So good. So it sounds like an exciting change, uh, exciting kind of shift for you. And how has that played out? I mean, what has that allowed you to do? What are you, you know, doing now in cannabis? Give us a little sense of your focus. So, I mean, I've continued with, you know, uh, with IP work for cannabis clients, right? And I think it's mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of strategy that goes in to, um, you know, kind of figuring out what to do on the trademark side, because everything the trademark office does is like tied to what other government agencies, specifically, you know, the FDA, when it comes to um, CBD related registrations and ingestibles, it's all kind of tied together. And so some of the things that I found most interesting are continuing to do that, but then also working on licenses to help mm-hmm. brands go from one state to another, you know, celebrity brands and other brands. And, you know, Zuber Lawler kind of has a specialty in helping clients grow like that. And when I say grow, pun always intended in this industry. <laughs> I just like sub- my subconscious just like shoots puns out um, in this industry. <laughs> and then, you know, the other. And so also like I've been on the forefront here with, with New York and New Jersey and the exciting developments and progress that we're making here, you know, to adult use markets in hopefully the next you know year or two years. And so, and that's, you know, we're going to touch upon some of the issues that resulted in litigation with states like New Jersey. 
And then the other thing that I'm very excited about, and I thank you for letting me mention it, is, you know, we're launching, you know, since I've already reading hundreds of articles each week on every facet of the industry, just because I enjoy it, we've essentially kind of, um, you know, turned that into content. I'm releasing, you know, on Monday mornings, Cannabis Last Week podcast brought to you oh. by Global Cannabis Times, you know, just short 10 to 15 minute recaps of everything federal, state, science, technology, social equity, international, celebrity cameos, aka hybrid news and analysis extract from 420 sources, aka the weekend update of weed. Um, uh -huh. So I'm uh, very, very excited about that, too. I love it. I love it. I, I, what I love about this industry is as it grows and evolves, like there's all this need for kind of innovation and new products and services. And, you know, this is one of those classic examples of like, you know, okay, like how do I get this content? Well, like a digest version that's sent to me in podcast format is, is something that's going to help a lot of people. So I'm yep. excited. I'm excited to hear, to hear it once it gets uh, launched and out there. I appreciate that. So before we kind of dive into, you know, what what's going on, like what what are what you've seen or what's interesting for you and from the legal side of cannabis, give us a little bit of a sense of of venues for this stuff because you know we're federally illegal. States been passing licenses. I think mean, where are these cases going? Like what are the jurisdictions kind of entities in play when we start looking at kind of the legal landscape of cannabis and where it's, where some of these things are coming up? Yeah. So I mean, yes, as you said, you know, succinctly, right? There is ultimately nothing. There's no federal legalization right now. As much as I would have loved, you know, the Dems when they had control of the presidency and both bodies of Congress to move on federal legalization, it seems like they're going to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, yeah. um, you know, by overreaching with a comprehensive bill when they could get through and get bipartisan support for things like the Safe Banking Act. So, yep. you know, noble intentions, but I'm not as confident as I was, you know, that anything's going to happen during this period. So the lawsuits that we're going to focus on and talk about are on the state level, right? So as each state that legalizes has its own bill with its own idiosyncrasies, and they look at the preceding bills and markets that have been set up in other states, and then they tweak it and they throw in new things, you know, with great intentions. You know, for example, New York and New Jersey have very, very strong social equity components built into their bills, you know, which have started being reflected in, say, the, the, the temporary partial regulations that <laughs> New Jersey has issued to meet their deadline for regulations. Uh, so and yeah. so, uh, you know, every single state, every single thing is ultimately different. Right. But you can learn from other ones, which is why it's good to hire experienced hands like lawyers and consultants. Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening is, you know, in any of these with any law, there are unintended consequences. And so on a macro level, you know, what we're going to discuss here is, you know, the bills pass, the regulations are issued, the time comes to open up for applications you know, on the state level to try and get your adult use retail license or something else like that. And then what ends up happening is problems arise that they don't anticipate <laughs> yeah. in the bill. And to look at it, you know, so I like reviewing all the news, you know, on the macro level, you know, for the podcast is you have parties that are well healed entering into mm -hmm. competitive, these competitions for these valuable licenses, and not everyone's going to get one. And so inevitably, when someone finds themselves rejected on the outside looking in, right, if they walk away at that point, all that money that they spent on investment, that's a sunk cost and that's done. 
So mm -hmm. when you have parties that have resources, and if they think that there's anything unfair about the process, either in the construct or how it played out in you know technical kind of ridiculous ways that I'll discuss in one example, they will turn to litigation and sue the relevant body at the state for what they consider to be unfair and to get their license. And yeah. so that's those are the type of you know, cases that we're going to, you know, discuss here, you know, we're talking about different trends and everything to talk about. And you're like, oh, these seem kind of cool. Well, thank you, mm -hmm. Bruce, because I have the challenge of making these cases sound scintillating and, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, making them sexy. <laughs> so yeah. let's see if I could uh, cross that bridge here, you know. And just so that I make, I understand and the audience understands. So, so the kind of the sausage making process for most states is the legislature passes bills that say we're going to legalize cannabis, but then it has to, you have to set up some kind of group, you know, organization that's then actually going to write the law or write the regulation for the state that then has to get approved, then gets sort of implemented and then license get issued. I mean, is that, is that a pretty, is, is that the same from state to state or, or how, how does, how complicated is that sausage making and does it change from state to state? Every state will be, you know, different in some capacity, right? And so, yeah, so the, the thing that they all start with is, well, it starts in different fashions, right? So there are, you know, certain types that there are ballots, you know, that mm -hmm. in, in a state that people approve, the, the voters approve, and then that puts the onus on the legislature to come up with the bill based off of that. Or there's certain, you know, the, one of the trends that we've seen this year that's been great, for example, in a state like New York, are the legislature just, you know, knows where the winds have blown and takes it upon themselves to move forward and legalize. Because if you look at any state around the country, virtually all of them are polling at 70% up. I mean, you know, in all the news that I cover, the one of the ones that, you know, caught my eye is, oh, in Louisiana, there's a 70%, you know, there's a poll showing 70% approval of um, voter approval of adult use legalization. And lo and behold, you know, a Republican uh, state assemblyman notices that and they actually got some stuff done. Not adult use, but they made some progress. And that's an interesting mm -hmm. one to keep an eye on because that's the deep South. And yeah. when that goes, I think that's a tipping point. But yes, yeah, so to, to, to backtrack, right? So at some point, the legislature is going to be passing a bill, right? And you're going to need the, the governor to sign off in every single state. And mm -hmm. so then some regulatory body is set up. In certain states, it's in the Department of Health. In other states, it's in the you know department that governs liquor licenses. And so mm -hmm. somebody is set up to do it. They need to staff up that, you know, they need to approve the people that are going to be in that. And because you can't have regulations unless there's someone there to write them. And, you know, these appointments can end up being, can be under dispute in different ways. You know, like in New Jersey, they named multiple board members, but they needed more diversity on it. And so, and the, I think the NAACP stepped in and said this, yeah, this isn't working. And so they had another board member. And so, you know, they staff up, they issue the regulations that set the guidelines for accepting applications, you know, for, so New Jersey is issued now, it's temporary regs, there are 140 pages. And then ultimately there need to be regulations that don't just cover the application process, but also govern the entire market. So mm -hmm. when I'm helping, you know, when I was helping clients in, you know, say Colorado on the supervision of a Colorado attorney, it was, you know, you're dealing then with 450 pages of regulations to, you Jeez. know, and in a mature market governing every aspect of the application renewal and then how you actually conduct your business. And so that's yeah. how every state plays out. And, you know, and we're going to be talking about a couple times it didn't play out exactly as <laughs> intended. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so I'll let you pick where you want to start. But where do these things, yeah, where does it not play out as as expected? And where do the kind of the challenges come up? And what are the, I guess, the basis for these challenges? So so I, I think that the way to kind of, the way to organize this is that in terms of the cases I'm going to talk about, they're going to be the ones that are the, the technical difficulties cases, yeah. which I mean, I just find ridiculous. Uh, and then uh-huh. there are actually the kind of the legal issues built into the laws. Um, yeah. that people end up challenging because they think that there is an unfairness just built into the law. So mm-hmm. I, I have to start with, I, I guess I now call it my home state, New Jersey, after living here for 15 <laughs> years. I mean, Bruce, it was funny. I was going through old files and I found something, you know, I'm born and raised in New York, Staten Island, uh-huh. Shaolin. And I found a letter, right? Then when we bought our place back when in Jersey City, I had to write an apology letter that the mortgage company required me to say, I'm so sorry that I still have a New York license and can't admit to myself that I reside in New Jersey. I promise I'm getting a New Jersey driver's license. I, <laughs> I found that. I love Anyways, it. I love Jersey. I've moved deeper in. I finally went to the burbs. You know, my daughters have their own bedroom. So, you know, yay, Jersey. Uh-huh. So anyways, so I digress. So New Jersey, what happened in 2019 They Mm -hmm. were opening up another round, a competitive round for additional medical marijuana licenses. They call them alternative treatment centers. So they had 200 applicants for 24 licenses they were going to issue. It was this two month, you know, insane race to get everything in on time. And what ended up happening was the Department of Health, which is the, you know, the body that governed the medical marijuana, um, medical marijuana in New Jersey couldn't yep. open certain PDFs from applicants. I think it was about six. You couldn't right. open the PDFs, you know, as part of the applications. They had all these, they had all these applicants. And mm-hmm. so what did the state of New Jersey do at that point? Right? Do you rule people out on a technicality or you, you know, you throw them back into, you know, the mix and, yeah. and then choose. And, and mind you, I remember seeing a headline that something similar happened in Illinois. And if I recall correctly, they let those parties back in to, you know, kind of clear mm-hmm. up whatever their supposed glitches were, and they proceeded. No, New Jersey litigates. And I, I'm just going to preface this by saying, if there's ever a New Jersey regulator listening, I don't envy your jobs. It's very, <laughs> very difficult, right? But I found it a little bit crazy that this turned into a two-year litigation, which went up the court system. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. So who started the litigation? I, let me give me. Sorry. Like yes. what actually so happened? Yeah, I did not make that clear enough. So these applicants who were ruled out because their PDF supposedly couldn't be opened said that's not fair. And they yeah. sued the New Jersey Department of Health for being disqualified on what they considered BS reasons. And so mm-hmm. this was litigated out for two years. You know, the applicants were Jeez. pointing the fingers at the Department of Health, you know, saying, your portal had a glitch, you know, like yeah. our PDFs open just damn fine. fine on our side, we were looking yeah. at our computer, something happened on your side and the Department of Health was saying, nope, you know, it was on you. Uh, you had, you know, and it was like this almost like a little back and forth and like, what could they establish or not? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, so ultimately it took two years to decide. And mind you, right, the entire round was in stasis. They did not yeah, issue exactly. any licenses to anyone it froze. It while just this froze, was being yeah. resolved. And they still haven't. 
by the way. So this was <laughs> this was actually resolved this court case back in February, and so you know this was right you know right when Governor Murphy was signing the bill for adult use legalization, and so now everyone's like, where are the regs? Where are the regs? Where are the regs for adult use? And at the same time, you know those other two hundred applicants are like, where's the decision on the medical? <laughs> you know and. And you got to look into how this actually affects people, right? And this is something that, you know, why also we have to strategize with our clients. You know, mm-hmm. all the, a number of these applicants are on the hook to landlords for property. Oh, and yeah. All of I a mean, sudden. They've spent, they've spent millions of dollars in some, some they, cases. Some of them are bankrupt because, yeah. you know, who could anticipate a two-year delay like this? I mean, let alone like the ridiculousness of the delay. And so it prejudiced certain people who were, you know, could not essentially afford to keep their hat in the ring. And so that's an example of, you know, one of these kind of technical side issues uh, Mm -hmm. and just, you know, what could end up resulting and the practical implications of it on other applicants. And the fact that, hey, New Jersey, you know, you're supposed to purportedly be servicing the medical needs of your patients, which, you know, after Chris Christie, who set up the program and frankly hated it, you know, Murphy comes in more reasonably, expands Mm -hmm. the number of conditions that qualify from, you know, severe things like cancer to something like anxiety, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, means that automatically every attorney qualifies for a medical marijuana card in New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Just by professional status. (laughs) Exactly. Purely, you know, just how anxious we are. Boom. Any lawyer can get a card. So they... So you have you go from eighteen thousand you know medical marijuana patients to a hundred thousand. Are those people getting serviced? There are only you know thirteen ATCs during this two year period. So yeah. that's another reason why it just seems kind of ridiculous to engage in this fight. But it is what it is. So a related you know another example of a technical issue was I mean we were speaking about Illinois before kind of doing the right uh-huh. thing. Well, Illinois had its own issue that popped up in the you know the past couple of months. So now Illinois, you know, had, I say, what, 2,000 applicants for enter a lottery, you know, for retail dispensaries in Illinois. And ultimately, you know, they awarded in the past couple months, 110 social equity licenses and 75 licenses to the applications with the top scores. But in this, six applicants were excluded kind of randomly and due to, according to, you know, the Illinois regulatory body, a clerical error. Actually, I said six for this, so I might have been mixing up the six from the Jersey case in this. The the Jersey case might be seven. And yeah, so these people just kind of got left out. So I mean, like someone just dropped something on the floor and they didn't get put into the file or something? Yes. Yeah. In some digital fashion, right, there was like a, a three round lottery. These guys got dropped out and Illinois straight up said, our bad. You know, this is on us Did not point, you know, fingers back at these applicants like, you know, Jersey did. And so some of these excluded applicants sue. And so what a judge does is he puts a stop on all of these people that have been granted licenses, these 185. They're not proceeding on to operate right now because these people were excluded. And so yeah. what's happened is that the, um, the Illinois actually what I have it. It's uh, they're the. The, I like, you know, rolling with acronyms that don't roll off the tongue. The, <laughs> the, the, IDFPR, the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation, um, responds to the court and that it wants to leave the 185 issued licenses as is and that they want to instead do a, you know, a quote unquote corrective lottery. 
to these people that are okay. excluded and, and give them a shot to get granted a license. But there are issues off of that idea because don't just think about state approval. For any license yeah. applicant, whether it's to grow or whatever, and it does depend upon the law to some extent, you need municipal approval. Mm -hmm. And different states are different, right? So New York, you have the capacity to opt out of having a retail, a retail like a dispensary or yeah. on-site consumption which is a trend that's actually, you know, going through the industry. You know, some yeah. states have to have on-site consumption attached to a dispensary like Jersey. Some have freestanding on-site consumption. I think that we're legal with that in about five to six states now, but that's going to keep on happening. And yep. so, I mean, I lost my train of thought that with the, you know, with the on-site consumption, but, you know, municipalities need to sign off yeah. on how many marijuana businesses are going to be in their borders. So the thing that Got popped it. in my head which I think they try to just a little bit, but it's still an issue is, all right, so if you issue those 185, you're checking boxes in certain municipalities being like, all right, we filled our quota. Municipality only wants six dispensaries. All right, so maybe they filled up out of that 185. What about the other six that are in the corrective lottery? They're getting to the game later. Um, yeah, and so they're boxed out at that point. Potentially, yeah. I mean, perhaps there's some minute details that I'm you know, missing on some municipalities or the order of it. But the idea is that you're trying to fix a bad situation. You know, it's always about unintended consequences when you're doing something for the first time. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, one thing that kind of comes in, like when we're trying to strategize for our clients is try to anticipate you know, if something is new and hasn't been done in this way before. So let's talk mm -hmm. about New Jersey's setup for their adult use application process. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a bunch of moving pieces, right? So we have rolling competitive licensing, right? So, uh, you know, how do you, you know, you don't cut off a certain dates. You're continuing to issue according to a point score where mm -hmm. certain parties can jump the line you know, and this is totally, you know, I, I support this and everything for social equity applicants, um, mm -hmm. for applicants that are going to help, you know, the economy and impact zones that are depressed. So they get to cut the line. And on top of that, we're throwing in this concept of conditional licenses, which is fascinating. And so basically the conditional license is you don't have to have all your ducks in a row yet. The main one, oh. two main ones being a property locked in and... Mm -hmm municipal approval, you could get your license, like you could get sign off on the skinny license based on your team and all the, you know, the deep probe that they do. And then you mm -hmm. have a certain period of time after being handed that conditional license Got to it. go out and find a property and, and get municipal approval. Now, that sounds pretty appealing when you look at what happened in the 2019 round with Jersey and the yeah. you know completely unforeseen crazy For delay. Life. Right. <laughs> yeah. Why have the property in hand when, you know, that could happen and you could be mm -hmm. you know, screwed if you're paying something to the landlord at the same time. Yeah. Right. I mean, we have to work with clients and strategize with the idea that the earlier you lock down a property, you know, pre regs, most of the most of the, the, the laws themselves, all they have are um, are saying you can't be this close to a school. You can't be this close yeah. to a house of worship. So if you could lock down, anticipate, oh, you know what, this municipality is probably going to approve and they're probably going to throw marijuana business in these zones and you book it early, you're saving money versus oh, yeah. do, you, do you go conditional, right, and worry about some unanticipated delay 
and then uh, don't shell out for the property and don't potentially get screwed by an you know by something yeah. like that. Trade-offs. Anyways, you know these are the type of things that we think about, which I find it you know endlessly fascinating. So and what are what are they actually? So so the things that you're seeing actually going to courts on these things. What I guess what are they actually suing? Who are they suing and who, what are they suing for? What are they trying to collect? They're always suing the government body that's making these decisions and saying like you did something unfair, you know, and the remedy that they're looking for is in some fashion, you know, I don't think they're asking for money. They're essentially looking for some fashion to have their hat thrown back into the ring when they haven't been able to. Got it. So it's not, they're not looking for damages or saying, hey, you didn't give me a license. It cost me a million dollars. You owe me a million dollars. It's more of, hey, you need to put me back into the process or get me a license. That's the main goal, right? I'm sure yeah. in anything, if I went and looked at the complaints, they'd also probably throw, you know, oh, throw yeah. in, you know, the kitchen sink <laughs> in terms of what we're asking for. So I'm sure yeah. there's also, you know, some ask for monetary damages. So yeah. those are examples of the whole, like the technical glitch that results yeah. in yeah. litigation. And the other, on the other coin, or like I said, are the ones that are built into the law. And okay. this is actually a really interesting and important one. So, you know, a number of the laws in different states have residency requirements saying okay. you need to live here in order to apply for this type of license. Like New Jersey has residency requirements tied to micro businesses, which are supposed to kind of help on a social equity perspective and in general to let the little guys in rather than, you know, when they're trying to compete with the big MSOs that have already own mm -hmm. all of the ATCs are going to be the first ones selling in the adult use market. So yep. there's these residency requirements built in to a bunch of the laws saying you got to be a state resident. You got to be a state resident. But there's a little bit of a problem there. <laughs> and that is the Constitution of the United States of America and constitutional law because of something known as the Dormant Commerce Clause, which, you know, I'm having flashbacks to yeah. con law class. I'm like, no, no. No more First Amendment. Um, not my favorite class. But so the Dormant Commerce Clause, the idea is that Congress explicitly has, you know, essentially exclusive power over interstate commerce. States do not. And so states can't discriminate against interstate commerce, nor can they unduly burden interstate commerce. So the issue here is by residency requirement. They're effectively saying you out of state her uh, out of stater, you're not welcome here to do this type of business. And so there is a built in potential dormant commerce clause issue with the residency requirement. You can't fault them for saying, let's leave, you know, you know, we mm -hmm. don't want people riding in, you know, from other states and making all the money. You know, we want to give resident, you know, we want to boost the people who live here, but yeah. there's kind of this constitutional problem. And that's resulted in multiple cases, which all seem to be trending in a certain direction. In which direction mean? And the direction of they're getting the residency requirements are getting, you know, knocked down. These aren't down. necessarily all, you know, final decisions, you know, but we have in Maine, you know, decisions relating to that, knocking it down. In uh -huh. Michigan and Missouri in the past, you know, say six months or so, there have been decisions that are not final court decisions, but they're decisions on preliminary injunction, basically where someone mm -hmm. comes in and says, stop them from doing that while we're, you know, fighting this out. Uh -huh. And basically when the courts investigate something like that, they're effectively giving you a preview of what they're going to find ultimately. Because to yeah. do something as drastic as saying, while we're, you know, fighting this, we're putting a stop to that specific behavior. Yeah. 
they only do that when there's like a likelihood of success on the merits. So that's a, a big sign. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're basically telegraphing. Yeah, they're telegraphing, telegraphing what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, they, you know, these decisions have essentially struck down the residency requirements based on this dormant commerce clause. Now, there's one court, you know, in Oklahoma where they recently rejected a dormant commerce clause challenge. But when you get a little bit into the, you know, the fine details, you know, they kind of did it by invoking this clean's hand doctrine. There might have been an error. So I'm not so sure that holds up um, on appeal. Um, well, let me ask that because I, I'm kind of curious there. So how do these things get appealed? So these are these are state courts. Mm hmm appeal through the state system, does it yep. go to federal system at some point or where would it That's, go? I mean, so it would go all the way, you know, have to go all the way up in the state and then it could potentially, you know, kind of a crossover, but they're not going to, these cases don't make it that far, right? Once the top okay. court in a state ends up making a ruling, the parties are going to roll with that. Ultimately, none, none of these are going to end up in the Supreme Court is the bottom line. Okay, Because yeah, I was curious because, I mean, that you know, we have this funny situation where it's not federally legal. So, so if, if these kind of issues end up in federal court, we're dealing with cannabis. Does the federal court hear these challenges? I mean, what happens there? There are certain cases that have ended up in federal court, like, for example, you know, by their nature. Right. So there have been cases, some of which, you know, my firm has handled Mm -hmm. uh, in federal court relating to trademark law. So matters of intellectual mm -hmm. property are, are based, you know, out of the Constitution, uh, you know, and they are federal acts. And so yep. some of those cases have ended up in federal courts. And it's been interesting how federal courts tiptoe around or directly address or completely avoid the issue of federal illegality uh, in order to make their decisions. But these 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 cases are in state courts because Got these it. are state agencies and the state courts have, you know, uh, purview over them. This is where yeah. they're, you know, they're going to be fought. Got it. And what what do you see? I mean, what, are there other things that you're kind of suspecting are going to start coming up? Are these cases going to become more prevalent? What What's the future look like? I think that, I mean, one would like to think that as more and more states come online and legalize that you'd see less of them because, you know, states are paying attention to what worked and didn't work in other states. And, you know, what resulted in litigation and what didn't. But you can't, you know, prevent to some extent, like I said, New York and New Jersey. Look, Colorado, when they first legalized, they didn't place any emphasis on social equity to the same extent yeah. that other states have. New York, I mean, Illinois, definitely. And then New York and New Jersey, rightfully and awesomely, have placed a real focus on social equity in the bills. I know now, now Colorado's kind of doing like kind of doing it now ex post facto. Uh -huh. But, you know, anytime that there's new stuff, right? Like I said, like, uh, like New York has this THC tax, that's going to be a mess. And so anytime that there's new wrinkles, there's the potential for delays. And there's going to the potential for possibly litigation if it ends up producing a result that someone doesn't like, because they don't get a license or because they're taxed heavier than expected. You know, yeah. I mean, how can you you're doing a THC tax, you don't necessarily know, even if you're growing the same strain, you know, in different batches, what the THC content's going to be. So how do you do your business model planning? You know, this is something that, you know, Global Go mentioned, you know, from their analytics department, you know, how do you plan for when you don't know what tax amount you're going to be paying? Because every yeah. grows different. So Jeez. anything like this could end up resulting in litigation and then the industry you know, kind of moves with it and the government bodies, the state governments hopefully learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. 
John, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you and the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? You could go to zuberlawler.com. You know, my email address is jpiro, J-P as in Peter, U-R-O-W at zuberlawler.com. And if you're curious about the podcast, it is Cannabis yeah. Last Week. It's in all the major platforms and it's on the globalcannabistimes.com website. Awesome. Great. I'll make sure all the links and uh, everything are on the show notes so people can click through and get that information. John, a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.